Today's scripture reading comes from Galatians 5, 1 through 14. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who, is accepts, who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You are running well who hindered you from obeying the truth. This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is the word of the Lord. We are now in part eight of our series on gospel identity, um, that we are not just ourselves as trying our best that we can, but ultimately that we have been adopted. We have been adopted as sons and daughters um, in Christ, through Christ, and that now we can call God our Father, our Dad, our Abba, Papa. And that's, that's what we've been talking about. And we're in the, uh, the portion of this series now when we are talking about what does it look like. Now, there's a lot said in this passage, but... What does it look like? Last week, um, we, we looked at the, the, the portion before, which is to say that you are free from the fear of enslavement to the law. The law is like it operates according to fear. That if you don't do the things that it says, that you will, that you will receive condemnation and fear, and that now you've been costed freedom. That's what real freedom is. You're free from this fear and enslavement. But there's more to it than that. A lot of you already know this. And today I want to talk about what's the freedom for? Freedom for what? What does the actual freedom look like if when you're free from the law and from performance-driven? Because that's the way we tend to be. We're very performance-driven. We want to like, make our own identity. And um, I don't know if you've noticed this. The way the, the Bible is like, the reason Paul is so upset about this is there's this, there's this controversy that's going on. So for those of you who may not know, that there, there are people who want to say, no, you, there's, Jesus is good, we accept Jesus, and they'll do this other thing. And this other thing is some keeping of a law. That's how you'll know you're good before God. And Paul's incredibly upset about this. And, um, you know, I don't know if you noticed this. Uh, I mean, um, our brother put this up there for us. This, these are some of the, the wild things that are actually in the Bible. He's so upset about this that he says, the people that are unsettling and, and spreading this false teaching, I hope they would emasculate themselves. <laughs> That's actually in the Bible. Um, you, you want me to say this a little bit more in the 21st century way? I hope these people will cut their nuts off. <laughs> That's in the Bible. <laughs> That's how incredibly upset he is that legalism, 
this, this form of legalism is like, I wish these people would just you know, get their te testicles like, knocked off because that's how bad what it is that they're teaching and poisoning people are from their true identity, their true freedom in Christ. Now today, we're going to look at this question, freedom for what? And I'll give you the answer. It's especially, in this, it's freedom, freedom to love, faith working through love. That's what I want to talk about today. And maybe some of you go, I, I already know this. And if you do, that's great. <laughs> but I suspect a lot, of, a lot of us, you may know it up here, but there's somewhere inside of here, somewhere in your heart and in your life, there, there's a problem that it's stuck because this is, this is not easy. And so let's get into this um, in three parts. Part one, the incurvatus of the soul and fleshly motivations of the heart. So you're saying, what is incurvatus of the soul? I, I, I'll tell you. Okay, so that's part one. Incurvatus of the soul and fleshly motivations of the heart. Part two, the challenge and freedom of real loving. Part two, the challenge and freedom of real loving. And part three, becoming truly free sons and daughters of the Father. Right? That's, what we're, that's what we're all after. I hope that's what you're after, that you want your deepest humanity fulfilled and, your deep, and you want to live inside the only identity that will last forever and forever that I hope that is your deep longing to become truly free sons and daughters of the Father. Okay? That's what we're talking about today. So, incurvatus of the soul. What are you talking about, Pastor? What is that? Okay, incurvatus, I mean, it's, it's a helpful word. Um, this is from Martin Luther. So for those of you, Martin Luther is one of the most famous Bible teachers of all time. He kicked off the Reformation. And I, I learned this from my own professor, Richard Gaffin, at Westminster Seminary, and he particularly, you know, finds this, this description. What it is, it's Martin Luther's description of sin. That's what it is. Incurvatus is a Latin word, and we don't even have a word like this in English. What incurvatus means is it means you're curved in. That's really what it means. And the soul, according to Martin Luther, is what happened when we fell from sin is our soul curved in on itself like this. We, we, we curved in. If you're healthy joyful, strong human being, you, you look out. Your, your eyes look out. Your heart goes out. And then you see and you can sense. You can see the glory and beauty of God. You can see his wisdom. You can even feel his presence. There, there's a perception because you're, 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 you look out and you look toward the truth and you take it in. But what happens when your, your soul is curved in like this? And it's a strange thing because, you know, you, you could see if a body's looking out or if a body's curled in, but a soul is invisible is inside of you. But Luther's description is that all human beings in sin is that our souls are curved in like this. And because of that, we can't see this God. And actually, it gets even worse than that. If you're curved in enough, you know, you, you know some people, like, you can kind of feel it when they walk into the room. And they're like this, and they have this kind of openness about their face is open, their heart is open. And then there's some people, you know, they, they kind of come in like this. And they're literally, they're, they're, they're lunch. But you can see it's a, their body is almost kind of signifying, and you can't always tell through the body, and oftentimes you can't, but that the heart is closed. And so that the incurvatus of the soul isn't just that you can't see and perceive and feel God and his presence and his glory and his truth. Actually, it, it, it really, it means you can't even see other people and their goodness. And you can't let them in too. So 
There are these people today who think that sin means there's a rule, and there's, there's a lot of people today who goes, I don't know if there's a God, and they have this kind of secular you know, worldview. And so then when they say, Christians say, this is God's law, and then you broke it, that's sin, and then they get mad about that because they don't agree with that law, and so they think that's some kind of like arbitrary rule, and that's all sin is. All these Christians are just sin, you know, like they, they get upset about that. But that's because they have a very shallow understanding of sin. <laughs> but actually... If sin is really like the way Luther, isn't that a really serious problem? That's an unbelievably serious problem. Because if your soul is curved in like this and you can't see love himself shining out, then how can you receive love? And if you are so curved and you can't see even the other people, how can you give love? See? Now, um, there is this verse in here that says, uh, this is in verse, verse 13. That we've been, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity. So uh, as we've been going through this, for those of you who haven't been with us, we've been teaching that the law, this, these, the standards. So what we tend to do is in our, you know, in our day, we want to like approach the standards. We know what we're going to do. And if we do that and, and then I fulfill that, then I, gain, I win my identity. And so the people who are more religious, you know, they, have, they know there's a law of God, and then they, they run the treadmill of performing all the laws and do all the works. And then they get exhausted and they get tired of doing it. But, then, but all, this, all the secular unbelieving folks, they tend to think, well, you know, these Christians, you know, they, just, they, get, they get all worked about do, doing all their, their, their religious activity. But then they go out into the world and they just go find some other God. <laughs> and then that God, you know, sticks their laws and standards on them, and then they run like a slave for that person. But one of the things we've been teaching you is you're not under the law. And so you now you're under the law. Don't have the fear of the law and all the exhaustion and all that, that the fear of condemnation that you have to do. Otherwise, you're, you're just a nothing. But now you're free. But so, so this is what tends to happen. Now that you're free, but there's still a problem, which is you're free. And now you might use it as an opportunity, as you put it, for the flesh as an opportunity for the flesh. Now, um, let me just say a little something about this. What's the flesh? The flesh, I mean, if you've been in our church for a while, you might have heard me say this, but the flesh is Paul's way of describing human life, the way we're trying to be human beings, but no God in it. There's no Holy Spirit in it. Flesh versus spirit. I know it sounds kind of weird. It doesn't just mean the physicality, but it's a metaphor that if you're essentially flesh, but no, there's no spirit in you, then you're basically just like a raw hunk of meat. <laughs> and if you are living life as if there's God is not in you and there's no Holy Spirit in you, then you're living your life, you're treating your life like you're a hunk of meat. <laughs> and there's ways you can do that. One way you can try to do it is to run the treadmill of the law. But the other way is now that you're free, I'm free, I don't have to do this anymore. But now you're, we go, oh, wait a second, I don't have to do the law, and then we don't do anything. <laughs> we don't do anything, because we don't have to do it. Now, um, here's where the motivations of the flesh come in. The incurvatus of the soul, because you're curved in. You can't see God. You don't sense the Holy Spirit, the, the glory of the gospel, because you're curved in. And so all you have left is you being a hunk of meat. <laughs> and how do you know... If you're being like the flesh, it's, it's not like a, it's not, you can't just tell by looking at, oh, that guy goes to church. Okay, that person's a really good Christian. No, no, you can't. 
Because it's not done by technique and external activity. It's actually, you have to look deep into a person's motivations. Are those from the flesh? Are they using the flesh and opportunity? Now, I don't have to do anything. So um, let, let me talk a little bit about this. Um, you know, the Bible calls this in this passage. Here's, here is the, what the passage says. In Christ, neither circumcision, this is verse 6, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. Which is saying, however you think you're going to try to do law-keeping, that doesn't matter. <laughs> circumcision nor uncircumcision, that's like some kind of like righteous law-keeping, doesn't matter. But the only thing that counts is faith working through love. Love, <laughs> that's what we're talking about today. So now we all know. The Bible calls us to have faith and then use that faith and then work it out through love. Okay. So now everybody knows if you're a Christian, you're supposed to love other people, right? So this is what a lot of people do. But then now they go, oh, I'm a son or a daughter in Christ. And okay, now I'm supposed to love, right? Oh, okay, I'm supposed to love. And then immediately, you know how they, how they interpret that? They interpret that like a law. <laughs> You've been told... That you're not on the law. It's not, there's no circumcision. It's like, but all of a sudden, loving is like a piece of circumcision. It's like, it's, love is just, oh, and you understand, it's in a whole other category. But instead, they treat it like it's their circumcision. It's this thing I do, and now I'm good. It's the law. And so, so then, oh, as a Christian, I have to love this person. I have to love, I have to serve other people in the church. I should come and serve, and I should pray, and, you know, there's this person. And we try to do all these things, and then after a while we do it, we get tired of it. And then, but here's, why do you do it? You do it because it's a law, and if you don't do it, then you know you're bad. All right? You go do it. So if you go, oh, if I don't do this, this is kind of, does this word ever say, if I don't do this, oh my goodness, I'm a bad Christian. You know what that is? That's law talk. That's law talk. It's, it's uh, you're, you're being motivated by fear. And I just told you last week that freedom, if you're a real free, if you're truly free in, in, as a son or a daughter in Christ, the fear is gone. It's not about fear anymore. The fear has been taken away. So, but, so if the only thing that can get you to love somebody else is because just guilt, and fear, now you've just gone back to the law. That's, that's one way of doing the flesh, okay? Okay, but that's one, that's one. There's a second way that's common to the flesh. Okay, this is what we're really getting at today. Wait a second, that's the law. Right, that's the law. Obli obligation and guilt, I hate that stuff. Okay, wow, this is crazy stuff. The gospel says, I don't actually have to do it. You mean I don't actually have to go serve and, and love other people? And God still somehow loves me and I'm not going to go to hell for that? Oh, my goodness. Wow. That's a really great deal. So then you don't love anybody. <laughs> I don't have to do it? So I don't do it. Cool. I don't do anything. So, I, so that's the second. First way is I have to do it out of fear. Second way, I don't have to do it. I don't do anything. <laughs> But here's a problem there. Um, you're not really living. If you, do, if you go in this way, look, there's, a, there's two voices that will go up in your head. One is a voice of reason. The voice of reason is, dude, you suck. <laughs> it's like, this can't be real. You're just a lazy person, and you're just selfish, and you never care about anybody else. How is this Christianity? <laughs> and then that's the reason voice, right? 
You guys all, you have any, uh, by the way, uh, but the reason I, I, I'm very good at describing this is because I know this very well. <laughs> it takes one to know one. I know this place very, very well. Okay, I've, I've, all these things I have heard my voice, you know, there's things. But there's another voice. The other voice, that's the voice of reason. Then there's, a, there's another voice that says, oh, since you're not doing anything, you're not really a Christian and God doesn't really love you. He's not your father. You're probably going to go to hell. <laughs> Did that voice ever happen? That's the devil. <laughs> the Bible says very, very clearly, not by circumcision or works or all this other stuff, but by grace, Christ did the law. <laughs> and so thus, you're not under fear and condemnation. It actually is true. You don't actually have to do it. <laughs> but now that means you're just using that as an opportunity for the flesh. You're treating yourself like a hunk of meat. You see? So then we end up in this way. We're like, oh, gosh, this, this is stinks. I suck. This can't be right. So then what do we do? Let's go back to the law. <laughs> oh, wait a second, I suck. Oh, I don't want to suck. I'll be like, God will, like, I'm bad. So you tell yourself you're bad. You think God is telling you that you're bad, but it's actually not God. It's the devil. And so then you go back to the law, back to the fear. See, just, this, you're just stuck in the flesh. Um, let me unpack this a little bit more. Um, you know, if you're in this one, if you're in this one, the, the option number two, I don't have to do it, so I don't love anybody. Um, you know, maybe if the only, if this is the way you are, you just kind of go back from option number one, option number two, and this is, this is all you know. Uh, okay, this, 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 next, this next comment's going to hurt, okay, so I'm just warning you. Um, if the only reason you ever loved anybody was out of obligation, and fear, and guilt, then maybe you never really loved anybody at all. <laughs> Ooh. How about that? Maybe you really don't know how to love anybody, because love is not from fear. It should be from freedom. And it should be, it's not just doing something. Oh, I did this for you. Didn't know I did this for you, right? <laughs> so I love you, right? No. You, you have to give you. <laughs> Freely, freely. And maybe if you never did that, I don't know how to do that. You don't really know how to love at all. But there aren't only two choices. Okay, these are like two flesh options. The, the, the law option through fear and guilt. The, I don't have to do it. Now I'm just like, you know, a hunk of meat. Actually, the third way is faith. Not just love because it's a... Duty, it's a law, it's like a, a fear factor, but, but you believe, oh, wow, I'm, like, I'm, actually, I'm actually a son of God? I'm actually his daughter? Really? Really? And I told you that if you're a son or a daughter of God, that you, we receive the inheritance, we are co-heir with Christ, that's the way the Bible puts it, or that we've inherited this family business. I called it the family. That you, there's a business, the inheritance that's been coming down from Abraham, and what is that family business? That's the redemption of the whole world. So that's like a big, grand, wow, salvation. Okay, I don't know if I want that business. That's a little too grand for me. Okay, the central activity of the family business of the redemption of the whole world is, is loving. You know what the baby step 
the baby step, like the baby, baby step of the inheritance of the family business is love somebody. <laughs> you know what the advanced step is? The advanced, the advanced, the real advanced course of the family business of the redemption of the world is loving somebody. <laughs> the, the baby step, the intermediate step, and every step in between <laughs> is to love and if you will go and embrace there, if you'll go there, now you'll get, you'll, you'll get out of this trap, the flesh trap, where you'll be stuck. That, it's, that's the third. That's the door to the freedom. The door to the freedom, and then to really live in freedom, is to go love somebody. Okay? Let's go to um, part two. The challenge and freedom of real loving. Okay, um, I'm going to mostly talk about the challenge. Now, if uh, I already kind of given you some sense that um, love isn't easy, is it? If you're supposed to give your, not just do something for somebody, but actually give your real self freely, that's not easy, is it? And um, I want to I want to take you back to for uh, uh, an illustration I gave about I think it was three weeks ago. Um, do you remember my illustration uh, from the movie uh, Ramen Girl? <laughs> I'm going to go back to Ramen Girl. For those of you who, who weren't here, I, I gave an illustration. There's a movie called Ramen Girl. I mean, it's, it's not a great movie. It's a good movie. It's good for this, okay? <laughs> it's good for this sermon illustration. Um, so Ramen Girl is about, uh, she's, she's white Caucasian girl. Um, she's blonde, and she moves to... Tokyo, she moves to Japan to go be with her boyfriend. And right at the beginning of the movie, you know, she, she, she has this, they have this great one night stand and they have sex and blah, blah, blah. And then he dumps her. He dumps her. And she becomes like this pathetic, sad, broken down girl. And then across the street from her apartment is this ramen shop. She goes to the ramen shop, eats this ramen, and it gives her joy. So then she kind of, she's, she's sort of like this obnoxious, pushy person. And she goes in, you know, she, you're supposed to get this picture of her as this spoiled girl. And she goes into the ramen shop and meets the owner, you know, the, 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 the chef. And he's not just a ramen chef. He's this master. This incre- he, he has like, he's been, had the blessing from the super grandmaster. Okay, there's like the super grandmaster who gave him the blessing to be a ramen chef. So he's not just, a, he's, he's like a master chef. And she says, you know, will you teach me how to make ramen? And so she goes under his tutelage, and, um, and they develop something like a father-daughter relationship. But it's kind of like a dysfunctional father-daughter relationship. He yells at her, like, you know, as if he's yelling at, like, a spoiled girl who, who, who never listens. And, um, and he's trying to teach her this deep secret. And so all she does is she looks at everything he does and tries to copy his technique, his external technique actions down perfectly, and she can do that. No problem. She can do the, the technique perfectly. But the thing that he teaches her, and there's this, this beautiful lesson, and what he basically tells her is there's, it's like a self-contained universe. All these different things are from different parts of the world, from the mountain and from the sea. It's all in there. But the broth, oh, the broth. Now, I, I know just like last of three weeks ago, a lot of you guys are going to go have ramen after this, right? <laughs> um, I, I love those of you guys who sent me that picture. We got the ramen, you know, they're all happy. Okay, so I was like, wow, some people actually listen to the sermon, okay? Um, but um, there's a broth. And what the master chef teaches is the broth, inside the broth is the life. 
And she, and what you have to do is, he says, you have to put your spirit. <laughs> it's not just technique. You have to put your spirit, you have to put your spirit as a spirit into the broth. And she doesn't, she can't get this. She's like, she hears him and she can't get it. And, she, she, and so then every time she makes it, it's like, it's, it's like lifeless. It's no, it's no good. And then she gets to the point, she starts getting desperate. And she, she comes, I mean, she's, she's, not, she's trying to listen to him, but she doesn't get what he's saying. She's not listening to him. And she comes up to the master chef, who, who's essentially like her father. And she says, you know, I'm desperate. Would you teach me spirit? And, you know, she says in Japanese, tamashin, right? And, you know, he's really sad. And so he wakes up early next morning, and they get into his truck, and they drive off into the, into the countryside, and he takes her to his mom. And she makes the ramen, and the mom, you know, tastes the ramen, and then she looks at her son and goes, it's, it's bland. <laughs> in other words, it's, it doesn't have life in it. And, um, and then she gives this lesson. And this is sort of like, this is the beautiful turning point of the movie. She, this, I, I wrote this down. She says what she says to the, this girl. Her name is Abby. Each bowl of ramen that you prepare is a gift to your customer. The food that you serve your customer becomes a part of them. It contains your spirit. In other words, it contains you. That's why your ramen must be an expression of pure love. See why I'm using this illustration? <laughs> That's not how I used the illustration last time. This is why I'm using this illustration. It must be an expression of pure love, a gift from your heart. Do you understand? And Abby looks at this, this, this woman, and here's what she says. I don't know anything about love. Every time I feel it, it's gone. It disappears. And all I have left is pain and sadness. And the mother looks at her and says, then begin by putting your tears into the broth. You know, this is a, this is a movie about, in a sense, there's a kind of like a profound Japanese like philosophy going on in, in, in this movie. It's, and, and yet, of course, there's no mention of Jesus, and there's, the gospel's not but it's getting close. I watched this movie, I was like, man, if we can talk about Jesus, this would be like a Christian movie. <laughs> it's like she gets stuck, that, that grandma, that mom is so close to saying, because look, listen to what she's saying. She's saying, well, then if all you got is tears, put that in the broth. In other words, don't worry about your, the law and the performance, like you got to do it all right, performance. Put your best self, and if your best self it's just tears. Put that in there. Huh. That'll be love. So that's what you teach her. Now, um, I want to just give, give a little, let me, let me take a little, make a little quick plug for something that we've been doing. Um, you know, Pastor Young announced that we're, you know, we're offering pr um, pastoral coaching. Um, a number of you I know are stuck in the option number one, law, fear, guilt, motivation. Option number two, oh, wow, I don't have to do anything. Okay, laziness and selfishness. <laughs> well, how do you get to number three? Well, you're like, I don't, I don't know how to do it. Well, maybe you're like Abby. I don't know anything about love. I don't know how to do number three. Then 
Maybe you need somebody like the ramen chef's mom, except, except it'll be Pastor Young, okay? <laughs> or, or it could be me, okay? It could be me, although I, 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 honestly, I think he's better at it than I am. So you should go get some coaching, and somebody can help point you to door number three <laughs> and take a step, because sometimes it's hard to find that door number three <laughs> where the real freedom is. Now let me unpack... What I, let me consider three challenges to this. All right? Number one, I've already kind of mentioned it. Number one is, I don't know anything about love. Why? Because I'm stuck in the law or the selfishness. But here, let me, un, let me unpack it a little bit more. Um, maybe that's been your habit. Maybe you do some things for other people, but you always feel like it has to be a quid pro quo. I give you this, and this is what I'm going to get out of it. That's not love. That's not love. That's a transaction. You, you give, if, if I give a dollar, you know, 75 to the 7-Eleven guy, did I love him? <laughs> that was a transaction. I gave him a dollar 75 so I can have, you know, a Slurpee. <laughs> but there's a lot of people who think this is love. I gave you something, and then you're getting something back. That, okay, I've, you know, in real love, there's a back and forth. But if the reason, the motivation is to get it back, maybe you don't know how to love. <laughs> there are other people who, um, the, the, the term, I think, is called pleaser. You guys know what this means? It's a person that does nice things to other people, not to get something from them, but so that they'll be happy with them. In other words, they get happy by making other, by when other people are happy with them. But, and usually they're very well-liked, and they don't seem like selfish people, but in a very strange way, they're not really loving. Because what they're really trying to get out of you is to get you to be happy with them. And then here's the, here's the problem. They run themselves all exhausted trying to get everybody to be happy with them because really it's not free. It's done out of fear. It's done out of an insecurity. It's a kind of enslavement. It's back to the enslavement from last week. And pleasing, maybe you have a pleasing tendency. And you're not only to be free. <laughs> um... And then, of course, maybe you're just a legalist. But anyway, these are all different ways of being like Abby. And all of these, by the way, they all do lead to pain and sadness, just like Abby said. Huh, they do. And maybe here, this is where the coaching can help you and help you find a door out of your pain and sadness that you're stuck in. Hmm. I'll add a second challenge. Um, this one's a little more basic. Um, love is work. <laughs> love is work. If you don't think love is work, let me tell you, then you don't know how to love. <laughs> you just straight up don't know how to love. Because love just ain't a feeling. And love isn't just, oh, if, it's, if I really love you, if we really love each other, won't we just feel it, babe? <laughs> That's stupid. <laughs> you know when the real love happens? When you don't feel it. <laughs> because when you actually encounter somebody, there's going to be something that you, that that person needs or deeply longs for, and you don't like to do it. <laughs> You don't like doing it, so then because you don't like doing it, it's work. And so when you do it, even though you don't feel like it, but you do it because they need it, now you're loving. And if you keep doing it, it's tiring. And so we just get drained and tired because that's the second challenge of love, and it takes effort, energy, sacrifice, and it's draining and it's tiring. That's the second talent. And you guys, all, you guys all know this, right? How about the third one? And this one's the worst. <laughs> okay, the first two weren't bad enough, right? 
This one's the worst. The third one is this. Um, I said that if you love somebody, you can't just do something. I did it for you, didn't I? <laughs> right? I did that thing for you. I loved you, right? And of course, that's never going to work. If you say that to your, 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 your husband or to your wife, you're going to get in a fight. <laughs> All right? Trust me, that, that's not going to work. That's, that's going to like fight time. You know, like you might as well just walk down to the marital counselor right now, okay? <laughs> okay, um, so that's, that's bad, okay? So, um, but if you're really going to love, you have to give your spirit, like the mother said, you have to give yourself. What if you give yourself in an activity, you're really giving yourself, and then the person receives this thing that you get, a, a gift or a, a piece of service, and then they're, they're, you're giving them you. And they, they, they receive you, and here's what they do with it. Blah. <laughs> they receive you, and then they just go, okay, whatever. <laughs> or even they, go, they receive you and go, yuck. And they reject your love, which is a way of saying they reject you. Doesn't that hurt? Here's the third and most difficult part of loving. You know that song, love hurts. <laughs> it's, it's like two words, love hurts. <laughs> okay, I don't, I, can't, I don't know any of the other lyrics. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Who cares what the other lyrics are? Because those are the, the, the most important part. That's the most important part. It's true. It's so true. Love hurts. In fact, um, so if you really love people, you will not only be depleted and drained, but you'll be hurt, disappointed, maybe not even a little hurt, maybe badly, badly wounded. Huh. The more you love, the more likelihood that you will be badly wounded. You ever loved anybody? And they didn't just reject you, but... They decided to get back at you because something about you they, they didn't like. Maybe it wasn't even something that you, you intentionally did or something. And they know you well enough that they, they don't even need a, a real knife. <laughs> they have a much sharper and terrible knife. They know that there's, if they, they say these certain words, it'll cut you so deep that you will walk away feeling like I'm just gushing blood and I have no way to stop this. Has that ever happened to you? It's happened to me. And yet, wow, pastor, that's terrible. <laughs> Thanks, pastor. So I don't, first, I don't know how to do it. Two, it's really tiring. And three, if I actually do it, <laughs> Somebody's going to cut me so deep that blood will come gushing out of my soul and there's no way for me to stop it. Oh my gosh. Thanks, Pastor. I think, no thanks. Thanks, but no thanks. I think I'm just going to just make money and give it to nobody. <laughs> All my time will just be for me. <laughs> and whenever I do something, I'm always going to get something back out of it. I'm, I'm not going to give myself to anybody. And if somebody like, gets me, I'm going to get them back. I'll definitely cut them back. 
I, I'm going to watch porn. I'm going to go on every vacation that's for me. I'm going to buy clothes for me. I'm going to make my hair look awesome. I'm going to get the six packs, and the women will just be like, ooh, glorify him. All right? And I'll get them in bed, and it'll just be like, yeah, that'll be my life, and I'll be happy. Because uh. screw this love stuff, because love hurts. Man, OK, let's do that. Because actually, you know, do you notice in our culture, Nobody actually says that out loud. <laughs> but people are like rational consumers. <laughs> so that, that they figure out, oh, the, I don't want to do the, the treadmill of the, the, of the obligation, and then I'm going to do it myself. And then, oh, I actually tried loving somebody, and then my girlfriend completely ripped my heart out. OK, so like, OK, I hate all women now. I'm just going to use them. I mean, and so people actually doing this, except they just don't say it out loud, right? Hmm? Ah, but there's a cost. And this is, a, this, is, this is from somebody far wiser than me. This is a C.S. Lewis from his book, Four Loves. This is the way he puts it. There is no safe investment. To love at all is to be vulnerable. See, because if you give yourself, it's vulnerable. <laughs> love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even a pet. Wrap it carefully. Wrap your heart up carefully. Round with hobbies and little luxuries and avoid all entanglements, which is now saying avoid any real relationships. Lock your heart up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. Oh, gosh, Lewis. I mean, that word, coffin of your selfishness. Some of you are going like, oh, he's a poetic guy. It's a really nice metaphor. That's not a nice metaphor. It's real. The coffin of your selfishness, let me tell you, it's real. I know. I've been in it. <laughs> it's a real thing. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. Your heart will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to getting hurt from love, or at least to the risk of tragedy, this is the alternative, damnation. <laughs> The only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and disturbances of love is hell. <laughs> so there are many people today, oh, love hurts, and I don't want to get so tired because, like, you know, trying to love other people, it's so, it's so disappointing. And so really they're building their their coffin of selfishness, and they're deciding to go to hell before they ever get to hell. <laughs> you ever wonder why there's so many unhappy and miserable, addicted, angry, selfish people? Because they're building their little hell before they ever even get there. <laughs> you don't have to tell them, oh, God's going to send you to hell. They're, they're sending themselves. I want to offer you an application this week. Um, 
Uh, did I, didn't, didn't I say that there's a path to freedom? I'm going to give you a little tip today. and Maybe Pastor Young can like, tighten this up and make it more specific for you. But um, take a baby step. I told you, uh, the, the family business, the baby step is love somebody. Do one discreet act of love freely. Even if the person doesn't appreciate it, doesn't even notice it, <laughs> doesn't even care. <laughs> love somebody discreetly, freely. That's weak. Let me go to the final portion of my message. Some of you, I just hope, no, hope nobody, but it may happen. Okay, okay, I'm going to love somebody. I'll do it. <laughs> I'm going to do it. I don't want to end up in no coffin of selfishness. Okay, got it, Pastor. That's like, that's, that's. If you just hear that and you hear wisdom, and that's wisdom, but you haven't then heard the gospel. <laughs> You've now just got good advice. <laughs> and now you... Start, smart, strong person. We're going to take good advice. You know, good taking good advice is good, but that's, that's not enough. What you need is faith. <laughs> you want to become a real son or daughter of the Father? To become a truly free, the freedom happens from faith. <laughs> it's not the, the specific activity, the technique. See, it's not the technique. Put the onion in before the... <laughs> the ramen noodles. I mean, it's, it's come on. <laughs> it's the spirit. <laughs> and what I want to offer you is something that will help feed your faith, the gospel. And there's a, there's a verse in here, verse 14. And I think this is a clue. This is a pathway to this. Uh, the verse 14 says this, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Wow. Okay. Um, wouldn't it be great if you could actually get to that very end of the law, like God's law? You, you actually, at the end, you were like, we did it. <laughs> it's sort of like if you could get to the end and like, we won the Super Bowl. <laughs> it's like, you did it. <laughs> That's kind of what it's saying. The end of this, the Super Bowl of the law is love. Real love. Love your neighbor as yourself. But this is why nobody's ever going to do it <laughs> through the law. Why? Because most of us, we stink at loving other people. And at your very, very best, you can love in spurts. You can love for like about two hours on Thursday afternoon, and then it's all me time again. Because like, I love, I, I love I, I, you know, like my, my, my son shows up, and he's like, let's watch a football game together. I'm like, cool. I feel like I'm loving him, but really it's like, good, I want to watch football. <laughs> <laughs> But like my daughter comes up and goes like, can, we, can you tell me a story? I'm like, no, nah, later, okay? <laughs> I mean, and I'm her dad, and I actually really do love her, but like not that moment. <laughs> so this is the best that we got. We love in spurts at best. <laughs> There's another verse that this, if you know the Bible pretty well, maybe this, this, this verse 14 will help you think about this verse. But if you don't, it's okay, because that's why you have me. <laughs> I'm supposed to, if you don't know, then I help you see that this verse is connected to this verse. This is Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Verse 17, this is Jesus. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. See how he came to fulfill the law. 
For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And you know what? That's happened. <laughs> real love, the law has been fulfilled. And real love has come. So the, the pathway to real love, it's, it's like wide open door. And that's why it's all of grace. That's why you don't have to do it. That's why there's no freedom. That's why, that's why I mean, there is total freedom. Because he's already done the law. That's why when you go back to loving somebody, don't make it a law. <laughs> why would you do that? <laughs> the people who say that should have their nuts cut off. <laughs> okay? From the Bible, God's holy word, <laughs> infallible, <laughs> word of God. That's what it says, not Susang's opinion. <laughs> so... If you believe, if you believe that you really are incurvatus of the soul, the first thing you must know is there is a son, and he fulfilled the law in our place, and then he, which means he really loved, always. And so that means you can love in him very imperfectly. <laughs> you can love like Abby, with tears. Because you're going to love, and then it'll be just covered up by his righteousness. All your unrighteousness and all your little neediness and all your prides and all your little bad ways that we do it. And it's covered up by his blood. <laughs> That's the son. But you know, I've been saying to you, in our identity, we get all of God. So like that... Okay, I, I hope this is like unholy this is to say. You, that's only like one-third of God, okay? I, I don't know if that's unholy to say that. Don't, don't report me to my, to my other pastors, okay, if, if that's wrong, okay? But that's like the sun. That's, that's what you get from the sun. Maybe some of you, um, maybe some of you, you feel like, you know, you'll never be able to try loving on your own. You're like, I, I can't do this. I, I'm, I'm not any good at this. And so you, you have, you, the, the offerings of love that you give, is like, it's like only a small part of you, and it's, it's very poor at that. And you think, if I love this person, I mean, does it really, is it really going to help them? I mean, come on, help me. But here's, when you love, you never love. If you do this by faith, as a son or a daughter in Christ, you never do it by yourself. <laughs> if you love, you'll love in the Spirit, and the Spirit will love with you. You will love in the Spirit. And out, if the Spirit's saying, I'm doing this because I call out to my daddy, my father, through Jesus, and then you love that way, then you will give maybe five loaves and two fish, and the Spirit will pour out a multitude that could feed 5,000. You see it? Can you believe that? That the Spirit will love with you and for you. Even if your love or my love is small and cracked. Can you believe that? It's by faith. Through grace. Faith working through love. By the Spirit. Not the flesh. <laughs> and the third, let me close with this, with the Father. There's a... Let's say that you love others or someone hard to love and it's pretty thankless. <laughs> Nobody else sees it. You never get any credit for it. You guys know what this is like? Um... You love somebody, let's just use some kind of arbitrary number scale. I, you love somebody with an 80. <laughs> you give them an 80, and then they give you back a 40. You're like, oh, that's, isn't that, that's painful. That's hard, isn't it? You keep doing it. 80, 
30. <laughs> 90, you like crank it up to 90. <laughs> and maybe they'll, they'll, like, maybe they'll get up to 50, but then like, it stays at 40. Isn't that hard? This is what parenting is like. 200. <laughs> you give it out 200, and your kid gives you 20. <laughs> that was, I don't want to scare anybody, but that's what it's like. <laughs> okay, and uh, 200, and they give me back. 20. But this is the crazy part of it. You, when they give you 20, you get happy. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? It's crazy. They give you 20, and you're like, oh, it's because it's because it's, it's, lo love is life. And you're doing it. You're doing real love. It's like you probably love your kid more than you love anybody ever in your whole darn life. And so you're pouring out 200. Nobody else ever got close. Not even your wife. Your wife got like 120, and then like everybody else gets like 50. <laughs> but like your kid is getting 200, and your wife, get, you give out 120, and your wife gives you like maybe 110 on a good day. <laughs> Sometimes she actually you know, outdoes you, and she gives you like 130, and you're like, oh, yes, great wife. <laughs> and, but, but your kid is giving you like, like 15 and 10 when you're pouring out 200. You know, there's another father. You think he's giving you 200? He's giving you a number that you cannot count. It's infinite. And you know what we give back to him? We don't even give back in 20. Most of us are giving him back five. Six. Oh, it's a good day. I'll give him eight. Here, Dad. Eight. <laughs> eight of love for me. <laughs> um, I gave you what you have from the Son and what you have from the Spirit. There's another verse that, um, this verse is Matthew chapter, it's the very next chapter from that Matthew 5. It's from Jesus again. And this I don't know if I, this is a good claim. This is one of the most important things I think I can ever preach to you. It's the secret. I think it's the secret of the freedom of the Christian life. If you want to be with the Father, you must commune with Him. And commune with Him is talking to Him. So you guys understand what it's like. I can, Hudson can come watch the football game with me. And he, it doesn't matter whether I'm in the room or not. We're watching football in the same room, but we're not really communing. You understand? But then we can walk in the room, and then like, he starts talking to me, and it's like we're like sharing. That's, that's prayer. The Bible calls that prayer. Real prayer with the Father is not like a religious activity. Well, I already did the prayer, didn't I? <laughs> I did it, didn't I? <laughs> can I get some, some credit for that? No, it's, it's communion. You're communing with your dad. And here's how Jesus puts it. When you pray, this is Matthew 6, verse 5. So when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corner, that they may be seen by others. You know, you want the credit from other people. I told you. Real love is not credit from other people. But truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Verse 6. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your commune. Be with your dad. Be with your dad. Pray to your father who is in secret. See, secret. <laughs> and your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you're living your life, is your dad with you? You talk to your dad. I find myself talking to my dad a lot, especially when it's hard. I don't communion with you. And 
sometimes people think I'm crazy because I'm like, my wife even, my wife even, she's, she'll walk into the bathroom and goes like, are you talking to yourself in there? While I'm in the shower. Are you talking to yourself? I don't, I don't talk to myself, dear. <laughs> I don't talk to myself. I guess literally, I guess I say stuff <laughs> with my lips. Um, I would like to close with this uh, quote that I gave you from Tim Keller last week. This is about identity. How do you get your, the, the, the strong foundation of identity? This is from his book, um, Making Sense of God. There has to be somebody whom you admire who adores you. Someone whom you cannot but praise, who praises and loves you. That is the rock-solid foundation of identity. The praise of the praiseworthy is above all rewards. <laughs> It's above other people's praise of you. It's above the money. It's above the achievements. The praise of the one who is praiseworthy, when he praises you, then you'll have your ide- the deepest identity. And so you go and love somebody, and that person is like oblivious or even just clueless <laughs> or even mean. And you go sit with your dad and said, I, I love that person. It was hard, dad. <laughs> And it's secret. It's just you and dad. And if you will go there in faith and believe what Jesus is saying here, there'll be a moment when your father will praise you and say, I saw it. I know. You're my son. You're my daughter. You're being my son and my daughter. I saw you love that thankless person. And I'm so proud of you. I'm so pleased with you, my son, my daughter. And when you sense that from God in secret, that's your reward. (laughs) And that's a reward like none other. (laughs) And it'll make you truly a son and truly free as a daughter. Let's pray. Abba, Dad, is there anyone more praiseworthy than you? In all our days, we seek praise from other people, and we want to comfort ourselves, and then we just go back to the law, and we're just so lost in this, the law, my selfishness, using the flesh for my freedom, for my flesh, and and then, and then we go and try to love, and then we get wounded, and then that's, we go, that's it, I don't want to do that anymore. But if we would go spend that time with you, Dad, and you would take us back to Jesus, and you would remind us that we're never alone, your spirit goes with us. I pray for all my brothers and sisters who listen. I know so many of them, maybe, they, maybe they're stuck here now. And I pray that they would have the sense to obey out of faith, faith working to love. And they would have this reward from you, Father, this ultimate reward of your pleasure, of your praise. And we would then be truly free and have the deepest reward and love can go on forever and forever and we'd have life with a capital F, L. No more coffins, 
that we just break all this forward and throw it away because we'll dance and laugh and cry and have your pleasure, Dad. In Jesus' name.